The Lord, the Lord had put it on my heart that this morning especially, we just honor women. Now you say, you know, it's not Mother's Day. Maybe it's not your birthday. But that's what the Lord told me, to honor women. And as I thought more about it, I realized this is prophetic. Not only prophetic, but it needs to be done and said in this time because the, the, the wholesomeness of women is being attacked all over the place. And, and we need to appreciate and understand that, that, that women are the fiber of family. Now, you know, we've all heard the man's the Godhead, and hopefully, you know, men, as you're put in that position in your families, wherever it is, uh, that you are. But we would be remiss to say that women aren't the fiber of, of the nuclear family in a sense. They really are. You know, we've, we've seen so many instances where men have failed, men have left, women, for whatever reason, are left alone at different stages of life to raise children, to do things. And a lot of times it rests upon the mother and then the grandmother and then aunts, etc. Women are the fiber. And that's what the Lord was, was speaking to me. And uh, there's a Proverbs that talks about, you know, how Solomon saw it in that day. The way he saw it in that day was that a, you know, a good and virtuous woman, she yarns, she makes her own clothes, she does the sustenance of the house. Well, we're allowed to amplify that a little bit more and to say that, you know, uh, we're very appreciative in our society in that, that, that we need good, virtuous, wholesome women to hold this society together. So much is said about the, the man, the father, the nuclear part. Yes, men need to stand up and to be fathers. But, but the women, no matter whether the man stands up or not, they just keep going. They just keep going. So I want to encourage you and I want you to know that the Lord has, has anointed you in that position. No matter where you're at, He's anointed you in that position. And I just want to pray and, and thank God for each and every virtuous woman that is, that is holding on to the things of God and holding on to their families. May the Lord just bless you. May He just grow stronger inside of you. May He help you to sustain. May He help your hearts to be able to hold on. May you take great joy in the fruit of what the Lord gives you, whether you see it or don't see it. May you serve in, in relationships in husbands, with grandparents, with children, whatever it is, may you serve with that with a new, renewed joy and confidence that God is with you. No matter what stage you are in your life, it doesn't matter. The Lord loves you so much wherever you are that he just grabbed this, this fellow here in the middle of a cornfield and said, announce and bless to my women how much I love them and how much I care for them. And with that, it would be remiss if, if I didn't get that opportunity to thank my own wife for being so nuclear in our family, our household. She lights up with her grandchildren. Her first things to me many times are, can I make you breakfast? Can I get you something to eat tonight? Can I, and, and, and I don't know what I'd do. A lot of times I don't want to eat in that, but it's just the love and the caring and the heart of, of, of a grandma and a wife who wants to take care of her family. Thank you for that. And thank all of you for that. Okay. So, maybe we're done with service, right? We just bring on the, bring on the pizza. I want to continue on with part eight of crossing the threshold and it's a very interesting <clears throat> time and season, and the more that I'm digging into this, the more I'm realizing that it's, it's not just a series and that gets replaced by another series and moves on. I've done a lot of series in my lifetime. Um, some are two parts, some are three parts, one was 20-some parts, um, you know, and basically what that means is that who was ever willing and uh, kind enough to listen uh, is taking a journey with me. I take a journey through these things. 
I'm not just regurgitating lessons. I'm taking a journey, so I invite you to take this journey and continue to take it with me. And I know where we're going to end up. We're going to end up as those that are prepared to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And in that instance, I've also realized I've become a little more sensitive um, to opposing messages. Now, what do I mean by opposing? Not, not things that are flagrant, you know, not things that deny God or deny Jesus, but that come from within uh, the church, within the, the very expanded church, no matter what faith it is, as pertains to non-denominational, denominational, or whatever. And there are things coming out, and I think it's rather timely, that seem to, again, try to dissuade the body of Christ about what our high calling is in the last of days. And uh, I find it very interesting because it, it's, some of this is coming especially from one man and some others that I esteem very highly as a teacher in some areas. But um, it, it's, it's once again challenging believers to believe that we don't need to sharpen our knives, to sharpen our, our spears, our swords, to sharpen our minds and our hearts to overcome with what's in the world and what's coming in the world. And so once again, you know, the, the clanging and calling is coming out for the great escape. The great escape. The great escape has been spoken of since the mid-1800s when a little girl in uh, Scotland had a vision and she shared it with an evangelist and the evangelist took that and he took it over to his friend who was writing Bibles in the United States and it became some print inside the Bible explaining things and it grew to become known as probably the most mysterious and thought about and provoking thing in scripture for believers called the rapture. And even though there's no such word, then it's a word for raptorus or caught away, and we hear all this stuff. Here's the bottom line. We can either raise people up in this moment to meet the moment that we're called to do, to overcome, and to not be so worried about being caught away and more concerned about being caught up in what God has us for the kingdom. And, of course, then again, that always spurs the debate pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Is the trib part of it? Is the trib not part of it? Are you good? Beloved, I find it very interesting and peculiar that as the time comes closer for us to realize that we're preparing the way and it's a very difficult time on the earth, that those voices are once again starting to lift up. They're selling books. They're selling series. They're doing things. And... Uh, some of them are so convinced, they're absolutely convinced that neither you nor I nor they should we live long enough have to fight anything as difficult as what some have labeled a tribulation or a dark time. I liken that to telling an army to quit preparing itself not to get physically or monetarily or emotionally or scripturally prepared for a war that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous. So I, of course, am one of those who has been preaching it for a long time that we need to understand the time we live in and what we're called to do and then to equip ourselves and then do it. And then do it. And so with that, the Lord gave me this first message, which was crossing the threshold. And in crossing the threshold... I gave this illustration of what we might call a threshold and that there are serious times in our lives and in our spiritual walks and also chronologically in the history of time with God here on earth where there are thresholds that are crossed. Some are, are bars that we see very vividly and they they would be crossing into a completely new era in time. For example, from the Law and the Prophets to John the Baptist, from John the Baptist to Jesus Christ. Those were definitive thresholds 
that changed the entire relationship that we have with the Lord. He had it with us, but we didn't have it with Him the way we could. But now we're those that can worship Him in spirit and truth. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That was a significant threshold. And while we're not redefining the gospel and we're not redefining Jesus, we're, we're embellishing that because that's what he's prepared us for. My, I am absolutely convinced we are crossing a threshold. And that threshold isn't one just to start another movement. It is the movement to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. All that other stuff is peripheral. You know, if you really want to get overwhelmed with what happens with the resurrection of the dead and etc., etc. That's all wonderful stuff. And I believe we do get a lot of revelation about it, right? We know that the dead shall rise in Christ. That was very important to the Jews when the gospel was being preached to them because they had held on to what David had said in, that, in, in, the, in the resurrection of the dead. And if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see coming down off the mount all kind of graves that have to be facing right towards the gate where the Messiah is supposed to walk into. And I believe he will, because there's scriptures that say that. His feet shall plant on, on the Mount of Olives, and he shall come down into his throne. What a wonderful day. What a wondrous time. All of that's wonderful. And when the dead rise up, it says that we will know him because we'll be just like him. And so I do believe that will be a time when right now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But there will be a time of the resurrection of the dead when you will have a body just like Jesus had a resurrected body and your spirit and soul and all will become one again. But your body will not be subject to the same things it is here on earth. You will have a spiritual body as well. And, uh, you know, yes, we can take great joy in that little bit of time that Jesus was here on earth and we got to see what his resurrected body did. He went and prepared a fish meal for his disciples at Galilee. He, ate, he broke some bread, he ate some fish. He didn't need to. I don't think he was hungry, but he wanted to. So that's good news for some of us who like good food. We're going to get to eat. And, and, and with that body, we realize there's no pain, there's no more sickness, it's a resurrected body forever and ever. And we will know each other when we see each other because we'll be familiar to one another. So yes, that's all coming, that's wonderful stuff. But here we are in the great now and now and not in the great by and by. And uh, we need to understand what are we to do in the great now and now. My calling, my life, my heart is to cry out in the wilderness and say, we're in the great now and now. Prepare uh, the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our Lord. I would love to tell you the desert is the world, but it's not. The desert is the church. The church. It'd be easy if it was the world. We'd just preach the gospel and we go evangelize, which we need to do, but it's the church. Because you see, any of us, when we get comfortable and we think we're okay, and we think that everything's just fine, and we keep pressing on to what the Lord has, and we just want to be comfortable in what it is right now, well, then we become complacent, and we're not as motivated, and we're just occupying the space that we're in, rather than motivating ourselves to take more for the kingdom of God. And those of us who are alive today we need to become overcomers. And we need to know that we're overcomers, right? We've said it. I'm, I'm, re, I'm recapitulating a lot that I've said with you so that I could get into a little bit of more meat here. We're not a church that drinks a lot of milk. We have a little bit of milk and, and a lot of meat. And so I pray all the time that the Lord allows me as I'm teaching or preaching or ministering or, or loving to do it with some milk and some meat. And, 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 and to just believe everybody at every point where they need to be and what they are. And so we understand that as overcomers, we need to overcome, right? If, 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 if the only motivation we have is to leave, <laughs> you don't need to overcome, right? If, if you're not going to be in Ohio in the middle of a snowstorm, you don't even need to own snow clothes, right? You just, you don't need four-wheel drive. You don't need any, you don't need heat. Get rid of your furnaces, but you need to overcome. It's the same thing for us. We need to be able to overcome in this world that we're in because not only is it dark, beloved, it's getting darker. It's getting darker. And we are the light 
in the world, if God takes us all out, where's the light? And then we just say, oh, those poor people that are left. Oh, they're going to have to do it. And then, and then, you know, then it gets even worse, right? The people that want to have our arrogant Christianity wearing on our sleeve, they'll come out and say, not only is God going to take us out, he's going to take the Holy Spirit with us. And all of you that are left, you've got to do it on your own. Really? Boy, the devil doesn't like that, does he? Really? No. I, he says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Christ prayed that we would be one even as he is one. He didn't say a half of one, take half of them away and leave the other half and let's make a half of one. He didn't, none of that lines up with who God is. He's a redeemer and he's had a plan of redemption that's a kingdom plan forever. And I was sharing just recently that our prayer, we say this prayer, it's called the Lord's Prayer. A lot of people say it and don't even know what they're saying, right? I came from a public school and went to Ursuline to play sports. They wanted me, <laughs> they came and got me to play sports. My father was thrilled because I got a free tuition. At that time, it was $400 a year. You'd have thought I hit the lottery. And, I, and the first thing I learned was a prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth. And as long as we got that prayer out and as long as I put it, I got all A's in religion without ever having religion. Right? Because to me it was just a study book. But now, when we say that prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And I was sharing, that's not the Lord's prayer. That's the prayer that the Lord taught us. That's our prayer. His prayer is John 17. Father, I pray that they become one, even as we are one. You and I, we and them, and that the world may know that you have sent me. That's his prayer for us. Our prayer, we're the ones. Father, let thy, come on, let thy kingdom come here on earth, even as it is in heaven. We are told to intercede to bring the kingdom here on earth. Not for the kingdom to take us from earth to there. That's not what we're praying, but that's what we're being taught. We're being taught to wait on that moment and you'll get out of all this chaos and darkness and problems that are coming. Just wait on that moment. Instead of praying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, some people are saying, take me quickly, Lord. We got it. Forgive me. It's like trying to put your pants on through the pant leg instead of through the waist. We got it wrong. We need to humble ourselves and to realize we've been called at such a time as this to prepare a way to bring kingdom to earth. And we're the ones, we're those, we're those prayer warriors, we're those lovers of God, we're those teachers, those evangelists, those pastors, and hopefully fewer apostles and better prophets. We're the ones. We're the ones who take our place and we wear those cloaks of humility, not those cloaks of identity. A lot's been said about identity and yes, I've taught on it. We need to know who we are in Christ, but not so we can flaunt it to everybody else. You don't win people by flaunting them with how over-spiritual you are and how much greater you are and how much more you know. Anyone who's an evangelist in here, anybody who loves to, to talk to a soul, you get to the level where they're at. You let them understand that, that, that you, you got it. You don't, you don't talk to them as if they're never going to be able to come out of where they're at. And some of us have a testimony that says, I've been where you're at. I got it, man. I know exactly. I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly what you're going through, but there's a way. And, and we have that compassion. We don't beat them over the head and say, I'm Apostle Frank, and I, someday you might be an apostle, but I don't think so, but I'm an Apostle Frank. That doesn't get anybody anywhere. We wear cloaks of humility. I've come to the realization as I was driving into the church this morning, I always get the blessing of picking Sonny up. We have a few minutes together as we come in. And I was saying, Lord, I finally got it, what the sackcloth is. That's repentance. He's cloaking us with sackcloth, spiritual sackcloth for this moment, that we walk with repentant spirits. And why is that so important? Because let's go back to the laws of creation that were 
unfolded to us in the very first two chapters of Genesis and back in the third too, to the third. But in that it says he made every kind and then he put a law down and said every kind comes after its own kind. And then after creation, he created pro-generation so that we would bring forth our own kind. Humans bring forth humans, both male and female, not one or the other. Not male and male or female and fail, male and female. And the same with animals, right? There's just some really low amoebas, not amoebas, amoebas and stuff that divide themselves. I don't understand that one. I don't, it's beyond my pay grade. But we bring forth our own kind. That comes from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. That's a manifestation of the spiritual realm of God. Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, brought forth his own kind. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, brought forth his own. Can any of us do it like he did? No. Can any of us do it at all? Absolutely not. But he and us and us and him, we can do what he does. That's recreation. That's new creation, but it's creation. And it's the same thing about each kind bringing forth its own kind. If we're walking in a cloak of humility and repentance, then we bring forth people into humility and repentance. But if we're walking in arrogance and pride, what are we saying to them? You be like this, but I'm like this. I'm here and you're here. No, no. If we're really walking in repentance and humility, we're here and we put everybody else here. That's called serving. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Let this mind be in you that was also in him who thought himself of nothing and emptied himself out to become lower, even to death. That's real humility. That's the stuff that gets the world, but not only gets the world, it gets the church. So I for one, and I believe you too, you know, we're in the desert of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is in a desert. It's so many different islands. So many things being preached to people to be here, be there, be there, be this, be that, do this. Don't do that, don't do this. Don't be with them, but be with them. Give to me because I'm the one who's called to the world. I need money. I need to fly in a bigger airplane to get to the world while you're trying to pay your heat bills. Give to me. Buy my book. My book's the right book, even though it says the same thing a hundred other books or a thousand other books said. You see where we've gotten? Do you think that's pleasing God? I'm not trying to say people are going to miss God. Thank God he's generous. Thank God for the righteousness of the blood of Christ. But I'd prefer to be one of us, all of us together, who say, Lord, we got it, and we're serving you in the way we were called to serve to prepare the way for you. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come for a bride. Do you think there really is a bride of Christ right now? I can answer your question. If there were, he'd be here already. What groom leaves their bride hanging out at the threshold doesn't bring him in the door? What groom says to the bride, stay out there in the cold. I'll tell you when you can come in. Or what groom goes across the threshold and with joy and love takes the bride in his arms and carries her across into heaven. He's not here because there's no bride. You say, Pastor, that's tough. No, that's real. The, the, the bride, you know, needs to be prepared. There's no bride at the threshold right now. And we're the ones preparing the way. Who are we preparing? The bride. Do we have to deal with, you know, making sure that the earth is all green for Jesus to come back. <laughs> it's his earth. He'll make it as green as he wants to. Do we have to make sure that everybody believes our doctrine for him to come back? Thank God, no. Do we have to try to become better in the things that we do? Yes, but not because that's what's going to bring him back. We need to walk as a body of Christ in repentance and humility with compassion and a desire for God. We're the modern-day John the Baptist. He had one mission. He prepared all his life for it. And as it became vivid to him, he was making a way out in the wilderness. And he began to baptize people not into Jesus Christ, certainly not into the Holy Spirit, 
It was a conversion baptism to do what? To repent. He was preparing them spiritually to have a cloak of repentance so that the Lord could come. And when the Lord came, people beginning to have a hunger and a thirst that the old way wasn't right. And then the one who can bring redemption came. And it's the same with us. The one who can bring redemption will come. But we're the agents here on earth. Now, that is a prelude to this. I began a few weeks ago to talk to you about Abram, who became Abraham. And I was really, you know, I mean, I've taught and done stuff on the Abrahamic covenant, etc., etc., and the promise of Isaac and all that stuff. And, uh, but this time as I was brought back into it, I began to ask the Lord, why are you putting this zeal in me about Abram again? I mean, really, it's, you know, it's about 10 chapters that we go with Abram starting in Genesis 11 to 12. And, and, and then as you read them and you really get in depth into it, you begin to see the transition of crossing over a threshold. Do you know what his name comes from? It's a Hebrew word called avar. You know what the root of it is? <laughs> Crossing over. So I said, oh, wow. Okay, Lord. Abram, we're part of that covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to touch on this stuff. I, I don't have a timeline. I don't care how many parts of a series it becomes. irrelevant to me. We're going to touch on it, but, but we have been blessed in that Abrahamic covenant, which means that if we're part of that blessing, and that blessing was bestowed upon somebody, a man named Abram, who was told to come out and cross over, and then had to learn and experience how to cross over multiple times between his 75 years, 100 years, and until eventually when he passed away, at 100 years he had the promise Isaac. At 75 years he only knew one thing, come out, cross over. Come out, cross over. And then there's multiple stages to his crossing over. We're going to try to hit a few of them because each one of them is relevant to what we can understand about crossing over the threshold and coming out. He had to come out of her. We have to come out of a sick bride. And we've got to invite other people to come out of a sick bride. Who wants to go to the altar with the wrong woman? <laughs> Who wants, women, who wants to go to the altar with the young man? Everybody's, some people have made that mistake, both sides, right? It's easier to get in than it is to get out. Oh, I love seeing you kiss each other. That was wonderful. Oh, I wish I could put it on the camera. You made my day romance in the church. That's wonderful. Jesus isn't coming back for a sick bride. He's made it very clear. What kind of a bride is he coming back for? Loud. Without wrinkles. Now I thought about that. And, you know, a lot of women, some men are really overwhelmed about wrinkles, right? I mean, Botox this, Botox that, shoot that, rub this in, cover that, don't get in the sun, use collagen, don't use collagen, yeah, hey! And we got a whole bunch of women walking around like this with their eyes off. <laughs> and they think they look good because the wrinkles are gone, but their face looks like it came out of some kind of a French tragedy. You know, it's like... <gasps> but listen to this. Uh, i got to touch on this because the pizza's here. Listen to this. Abram, when he sort of fell away was trying to find God. He went down into Egypt, right? Now, that may sound easy to you, but I, I did a little calculating. And can, can we put the map up and turn the lights down a little? I asked uh, Dwayne to try to jump this map for me. And as, as they're getting it ready, now, you see all the way on your side, which would be the right side, you see that all the way down there? That's where he started from. And the first red line was where his 
father started from. His father was a descendant of Shem. Back to Moses, right? I mean, back to to, um, Noah. And so the father all of a sudden gets this inclination. Most people don't pay attention to that, but the end of Genesis 11, the father gets this inclination to move his family from there to the next stop. He, was, he didn't make the land of Canaan. He, was, he said, let's go to Canaan. God put the assignment and the passion in, in Noah's father's heart, but his father didn't, wasn't obedient to the assignment, so it passed on to the son. And the son was 75 years old. And so then we see the second spot there where it picks up, and that begins the journey of Abram. And he goes all the way down into Egypt and then all the way back into the land of Canaan and the promised land, even of Israel. And in that, he had to cross many thresholds. And at one point, as we, we, we'll study these a little more and a little closer, you get them, but one point where he had a real issue was he got into the land where he was supposed to go with Lot, and God was increasing him with his nephew, and, and he, he had a lot of, 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 of sheep, and he had a lot of, 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 of the things that you would have if you're a rich, wealthy uh, agrarian. And it was time to cross his threshold to trust God, because a great famine came to the land. Now, do you think that was because they were having a problem with green energy back in that day? Too many cars, too many emissions, uh, you know. A great famine came, and with it came a lot of problems. A lot of problems, and the problems were related to the weather, and it was tough, and the sheep were dying, and they couldn't go. So Abram had not yet learned Jehovah Jireh. He had not learned the provision of the Lord. He had not yet crossed that threshold of faith to really trust and believe God. He was still going from place to place. Some, if you add up the mileage that he totally took his people around and around, it was over 1,500 miles, some say 2,500 miles, because a lot of the mileage was figured out by straight, and you can't walk straight. He came to that threshold, and you could, it, it was, there was a lot of famine. So he rounded up his family and all of his goods, and what did he do? He went down to Egypt. He went to the God of the Pharaohs. He went to the place, and he said, I don't understand it, but Egypt says, rich and plenty, there's a lot of grass, and you know, you just don't go in to Egypt and say, here I am, we're gonna take your grass. It means he had to tithe to the Pharaoh. He had to pay to be in there. He had to make some kind of a commitment. And in that instance, you, you could uh, take that off for a moment, we'll use it again another time. In that instance, he began to think with his mind and he began to think about his wealth and he became fearful for his own life. Now, at that time, we could only imagine he was probably at least in his 80s, if not more, because he had Isaac at 100. He left at 75 with his father's place. He got to where he was going and he went down into Egypt. You don't go down into Egypt in a day. <laughs> it's a lot of miles. You don't, how many miles do you do with your whole clan and everything a day? Two, maybe, three, I don't know. And he pulls his wife in, his loving, beautiful nucleus of his household, Sarai, whom we understand according to that Bedouin culture, they were probably joined together at a very young age. She, 10 years younger than him, so she probably was just becoming a teenager, and he was a young man, and the Mashad was made, and Sarai became his wife. His wife. At least his wife for 60-some years. And he's looking at his wife, and he says, Sarai, you're hot. You got no wrinkles. She's in her 60s, maybe she's 70. And he said, you know, I'm always jealous about you. I got to smack and beat all these people that look, but I'm going into Pharaoh's land and I, I won't have any authority. No one's going to, and, and he's, they're going to look upon you and see how hot and beautiful you are. You're going to want it for yourself and he'll kill me to get you. So if you want your husband to be alive, you got to tell him you're my sister. 
Abram, Father Abram, to whom God accounted righteousness? Really? I mean, forgive me, but on the street they would call that pimping out your wife. I know, it doesn't sound, but that's fact. Is that not fact? Yeah, it is. And we don't like such things, do we? We would look at that and say, that nasty guy. He doesn't even love his wife enough. And then something happens. She does indeed get into Pharaoh's place. And she's there in one of his temples and getting prepared, going through the preparations to become his wife. And God got angry. And it says that God sent plagues into Pharaoh's place and into Pharaoh. He didn't tell us what the plagues were. You see, the only plagues we know about were with Moses, but these were the first plagues. And why did God do it? Why didn't he just deal with Abram? Why didn't he just, you know, pick Abram up out of his bed and slap the snot out of him and say, I'm going to take all your wealth from you. Look what you did. No, he dealt with Pharaoh. Doesn't seem fair, does it? I mean, Pharaoh was just minding his own business, having other gods. Just taking whatever he wanted, whomever and wherever he wanted. And then somebody tells on him and says, that's Abram's wife. And Pharaoh gets mad at Abram, but he doesn't touch him. He said, get out of here. You lied to me. You could have brought all this down upon me. I could have married your wife. I could have committed adultery and not even I do, but I'm getting your God mad and your God is taking it out on me. Get out of here and take all your stuff with you. You see, what do we learn from that crossing the threshold? We can mess it up. And we could begin to do things our way or a cultural way or some other way and say, oh, well, we're just, we're just abiding by the... No, you're offending God. And Abram had to learn that lesson because he feared Pharaoh more than he feared God. And we have to learn in the body of Christ preparing the bride not to be fearing people more than we fear God. God is numero uno. And without the fear of the Lord, there's no wisdom, there's no obedience, and there's no glory. So, Abram goes back to where he came from. It doesn't say the famine went away. It leaves it open a little bit in the Scriptures. But he went back to the famine. The famine wasn't over. And he went back with everything he had. But guess what? It said he became very rich. The word's rich. Wealthy. Rich. And all of a sudden, he learned something. And we'll see in the Scripture. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna benchmark each one of these thresholds. I'm just sort of giving you an overview of Abram. The one named Crossover, who later was renamed Abraham, who says, the father of many to cross over. <sighs> and the father of many to cross over, God made a covenant with him, and we are those inheritance, we're the inheritance of the Abrahamic covenant. And we learn it in Hebrews and Romans and Acts, it's all over the place. That God is blessing us in the Abrahamic covenant. And, and that means that we're the ones, come on, who have it in our spiritual DDA to cross over. So I'm just not echoing words that don't make sense. You're in a prophetic house that has teaching. We're, we're learning from, from the prophetic word of God, not just history of, of what our father Abraham is. And, and we're descendants of him, both physical and spiritual. Both physical and spiritual. We got the DDA and the DNA. We got them both. And he had to learn certain things on his path. He had to come out. He had to leave his father's house. He got close to where he was supposed to be. He got lured away. Because he didn't have enough faith to believe or he wasn't obedient enough or just looked better to go a different route than what God gave him. That's why you'll see, I pray God every day, don't let me go to the left or the right. Let me stay straight. It may not be popular, but let me stay straight. Because I fear God. And when you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else and you'll find out you don't. You don't have to worry about 
Are you going to do something wrong that's going to offend somebody in your worship or in how you teach or what you do or how you practice? You don't have to worry about that because God told Abraham, he came to him and he said, I'm your shield and I'm your provider right after that. He got the revelation. It isn't Pharaoh. It isn't you using what I give you, the substance of your wealth and your richness and the servants that you trained in your own house, which he was very proud about and arrogant about. He said, put all that aside, Abram. It's me. Now go back into the land of famine and I'm going to prosper you there. I don't know how God did it. Maybe Abram had a little cloud over his head and it rained. But we've seen it. We've gone into famine and desert and God's created rain because of who we are and what we carry. Physically and spiritually from this house. We've seen it. We've experienced it. So I think that's what happened with Abram. And he got that revelation. Now why did he get it? Because God was preparing him for his massive crossovers. There were a couple more coming. There was a couple more times for him to go across the threshold. But you know, one of the things that's very common, read starting in Genesis 12 and go until Abram's off the books, out of the book. Read it. One of the things he did, everywhere that he crossed the threshold, (laughs) he built an altar to God. How do you even know to do that? How do you know to do that? Certainly didn't learn it from Noah or Shem. I mean, let's face it. You know, Noah built the ark and then didn't quite do a few things right. And he certainly didn't get it from Adam and Eve. Where did it come from? It came from God. It, God entered into a relationship with Abram, and he just, I, I hate to use the word instinctively, I believe spiritually, it, it, he became humbled, but he also became desperate. And he'd come to a place and he'd build an altar for God. And you know, when he came out of Egypt where he went, back to the altar, the last one he built for God. He went across the threshold to the wrong place, had to come back and go back to go for a reset. Beloved, there ain't enough time for us for resets anymore. We need to get set. And not let anything distract us or detract us. And you know what? Whether you become popular with one or a million, it doesn't matter. What matters is your protectors of the kingdom of God coming down here on earth. That's who we are. And we set an altar where we're at. And that altar becomes the new threshold. And we don't use that altar as our final place, and we don't go backwards. We go from that threshold to the next threshold. And ultimately what happens is, fast-forwarding, you know, Lot and he, they divide when they come back. All of a sudden, instead of addition, what's God do? Come on, help me out. Division. Subtraction. God's not going to heal the whole body of Christ without division and subtraction. That's a prophetic word and it's real. People need to come out of what they're in if it isn't the right thing with God. And people need to subtract stuff from our lives that aren't the right things of God. And God always does that. And so Lot came out with Abram, and even though Lot had seen everything, and maybe he lost a little confidence in his uncle because of the whole ant thing with Pharaoh. But they both were rich and wealthy. But where God sent them to, now listen, I'm filling in holes for you. Where God sent them to was still in the famine, and there wasn't enough for both of them. So what began to happen? (laughs) The herdsmen began to fight amongst each other. The shepherds. Come on, the shepherds began to fight against each other. The shepherds of these sheep of Lot and these sheep of Abraham began to fight over the grass. The people are the grass. There was competition for the sheep. And there were rules set up by Lot and rules set up by Abram, and the two rules weren't commingling. So Abram said, Lot, it's not good that our shepherds fight amongst each other. So you choose which way you want to go. God gave us this land. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. And Lot, without any spiritual eyes, he looks to the right and he says, Jordan. Jordan's words he uses are like Egypt. It's like Egypt. Going to Jordan is like Egypt. They got plenty there. 
He didn't bother to ask who it was or how they were living or what they were, so he chose and he went. And Abram went the other way. And Lot went into Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a few words for it described. A place of sinners which were exceedingly evil and sinful. Exceedingly. Now, you don't think Lot knew a little bit about that? You don't think, little younger nephew, uh, my uncle doesn't really, I'm going to go have some fun. Let me get down there with these people. These people, you know, they, they, they're having some fun down there. My uncle, he's building altars. Ultimately, Abram had to go save him. And he had to beg for the opportunity to go save Lot and his family. And he does. And he does it with 300 and some of his servants that were trained by himself. He conquers four or five kings. Now those kings at that time, they weren't like the whole pharaoh in that. They were like kings of city government dwellings. But he conquered five of them. And in that instance, it says that, I want to get to that scripture. In that instance, it says that he not only rescued them, but it says that he got all their stuff, all their wives, all their people, and he brought them all back home with him. He rescued Lot. Isn't it interesting that the first time Abram is revealed with an identity as a Hebrew is in that mix, in that mess? Look at this, Genesis 14. Let's go to verse 13. Actually, let's start in verse 12. These are what the wicked kings did, conquering kings. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. Verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, first time we see that word. Abram, the Hebrew. Abram, the Hebrew. And that word is a root of crossing over. Abram, the crossing over one. Abram of many, the crossing over one. Abram, the one who recovers his possessions. That's how, it, that's how you interpret it. He crosses over, he recovers what the enemy stole from him. That's who we are. You understand who we are? We're not just, you know, innocent sheep that get pushed whichever way somebody wants to push us, and we're not going to follow another shepherd, and we're not going to allow a shepherd or a wolf to come into our path who's not walking with the same commission, the same heart, the same commitment, the same fear of the Lord that we have. And so, here's what happens. He goes, and he brings them back. And he armed his trained servants who were born in his own house. There's so much here. I, I could, it could take us a year. Verse 14, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, and what he meant was his nephew, but his brother's nephew, he armed his trained servants born in his own house. Let each kind bring forth its own kind. This is our house. We don't let someone come into our house and be different than we are. We tolerate them, but we don't put them in a place of authority in this house. We don't put them in a place of authority in the kingdom of God with us. They can say they are, do whatever they want, but that's not who they are to us and to God most likely. And it says he took of his own house, and they were a small house. He went after five kings with 300 people, born in his own house. And you know what the word says? Oh, he caught up to him and he negotiated with them and he was kind and he said, give me back. He slaughtered them. The word says a couple times, he slaughtered them. He didn't just capture them. He didn't make a peace treaty with them. He slaughtered them. He showed them you don't mess with God's people. And he took back his stuff. 
But then something weird happens. Because you see, he crossed over a threshold. He learned to be a warrior. He learned to go after his own. He learned what God does. God goes after his own. He learns that you don't need a lot to go after the things of God. You just need people from your own house. And he crossed over that threshold. And it says that he brought back all the goods. But then something happens, and we're going to take this by verses, and then we're done. Genesis 14, 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of the other king. And all of the kings that were with him at the Valley of Shavra, which is the king's dale. Right before that, you know where the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah went? They went towards the Dead Sea. And it says they fell in the salt pits. They were slimy. The other ones took off beaten feet towards the other area to the high hills. And he chased them and slaughtered them. So they lived. They lived because they fell in slime. <laughs> so they come out slimy. And they say, oh boy, he just killed all of them. He just chased Chad Arnade, that other king, and he slaughtered them. That's what he's going to do to us. And they come up out of the slime pits. The king of Sodom, the king, comes out of the slime pits to beg. And at the same time, somebody else shows up. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, some say Melchizedek, it's Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem what? The foreshadow of Jerusalem. Salem, Jerusalem, Salem. The eternal capital. The one that God says is the apple of his eye. The one that today is being fought over where they, they want to annihilate the Hebrews, the ones who crossed over. They want to get rid of the crossing over. They want to destroy the threshold because the king of the Jews is coming back across another threshold and walking into that place. And the word of the Lord shall go forth from Jerusalem to all the corners. Come on, don't we see it? No, I'm going to just fly away, Lord Jesus. And I don't need to see any of this, not me. This is, this, is, this is on those poor suckers that aren't even going to have the Holy Spirit. Come on! You see why I get angry? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm mad at it. I'm mad at the thing, and that's the way God raised me. And I don't care who says it and who doesn't say it. I don't care what president comes forth. I've stood in front of a couple of them. And I've said, if you divide Jerusalem, you're going bye-bye. I prophesied it to George Bush Sr. when he promised them that if they would take the scuds, and they took 39 of them, the lashes of our Lord. And don't fight back. Not only will we preserve you, we'll give you the money to resettle. The Jews that are coming in from Aliyah and coming in from Egypt will give you the money. And then he changed his mind. He said, we're not going to give you the money unless you give up half of Jerusalem. And to him and to all that would listen, that was in January, I said, he's done. His popularity after the war was higher than any president has been seen since World War II, 92%. Unbeatable. <laughs> Some little farmer out of Arkansas came and beat him. And Those who touch God's anointed better deal with themselves. And I don't care who's running for president, who's president. They touch Israel because that's his place. So this, this, this Melchizedek, he shows up. And listen what it says about him. King of Salem brought forth bread and wine. Bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. First of all, he's a king. Second of all, he's a priest. What are we? Are we kings and priests? Or are we? 
Are we just going to fly away like crows, eating dead kill in the middle of the road? Yeah, that's what I got. I'm crazy. Driving in this morning, there was, there was a raccoon dead in the road, and there were two crows picking on him, and I said, that's dead kill in the middle of the road. I said, oh, Lord, that's preachable. <laughs> Better than a dead skunk in the middle of the road. <laughs> you carry that smell with you, boy. You drive over the top of that, you don't put your car in the garage at night. because, <laughs> Woo! King and a priest! And what's he bring to the table? He goes to meet, not because he was afraid of him. He's a high priest of God. God sent his high priest. Now some say it was Jesus. It wasn't Jesus. And some say this and some say that. And he's a mystery, and we'll get into that later. He's a mystery. But we know this. He was representing the Most High God, and he was a foreshadow. Come on now. Timeless mentality. God was dealing with his priest, his prophetic priest, with a prophetic message to Abraham who's going to need it because soon he's going to almost lose his son and he needs to jump forward into John 8 and see the day of Jesus Christ and not put the dagger in his son. God is connecting him to cross this prophetic shout right here. He's saying, come across. Let me send my priest king to you, son. And by the way, the blood of the lamb, bread and wine is coming. He's breaking bread and wine with you. Why bread and wine? Why not lamb? Everybody likes lamb in the Midwest. You know, why not tabbouleh? Why? Crossing bread and wine. They sit down and they worship the Lord together. And Abrams knew who this guy was. He knew this was the real deal. He knew that Melchizedek was a real king and a real high priest, and he knew he came from a high place that Abram hadn't been to yet. And they sat down together. He was the priest of the most high God. Next verse. And he blessed him. <laughs> he blessed him at the threshold. We could have added a lot to it. Son, you're about to cross over into a whole different relationship with the Lord God. You're about to receive your promise. You're about to have your name changed. You're about to become the father of many. You're about to see the suns and the stars and everything God's going to give you. What does he tell him? This is what we get captured. Blessed be Abram of God. Abram of God. Blessed be you of God. Most high. Possessor of heaven and earth. Abram, son, God's got it all. He's the possessor of everything. Learn it in your spirit and in your heart now because you're going to need this to go forward. Don't look at anybody else or anything else. God is the possessor of heaven and earth. Let's go forward. Watch this. This is so good. And blessed be God, most God, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. You got enemies? They're coming right into your hands. You got problems and issues? He's going to be dealing with them. Just remember, he's the possessor of heaven and earth. And then what happened? Hmm. A lot of people don't like this part. You can talk to people till they got to get in their wallet. Then all of a sudden, they got a whole different theology. <laughs> Abram gave him a tithe. Go on, of. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. No, 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 you went too far ahead. Go back one. And he gave him a tithe of all. I'm sorry, next one. Now Sodom speaks up. Here's the interesting thing. I don't think Sodom was at the table with Melchizedek, but he was in the place. Because they're having this sort of intertwined conversation. Abram's getting this revelation with the spirit from the Most High God, and on the other hand, you have the most low Sodom king who's slimy came out of the salt pit. Isn't that God? Two people in the same place getting affected a different way. You can be in a place of miracles and never get one because you got slime. 
you're coming with a slime mentality. And the other person's coming with the God Most High mentality. So Abram, <laughs> he's not going to get pushed off the mark that fast. How many of you know that the minute the Lord gives you a blessing, and the minute he speaks something into eternity and everybody hears it, the devil's going to come and try and steal it right that moment. How many of you know that? Only a few of you. Well, just believe me then. How many of you know that? You need to know that. You need to understand that. A blessing doesn't mean it's over. It means it just began. It means you just cross the threshold now, get your left and your right out, because you're going to have to smack Pete and repeat. Don't walk backwards. Stand strong. So Sodom, he wants to negotiate, because he don't want to go back to the slime pit. He don't want to get slaughtered. He just wants Abram to go away. Take Lot, take your stuff, get out of here, just like Pharaoh. Next one. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, he should have said, you slimy pig. But he was a little nicer than me. He said, I've raised my hand to the Lord. God most high. The possessor of heaven and earth. Can you imagine the anointing that was on him from Melchizedek at the moment? He couldn't even get into the, into the fray with Sodom. He couldn't even sit there and begin to talk to him on his own terms. He says, yeah, I, I raised my hand to the most high. And I've seen the revelation of, of the Holy One, the possessor of heaven and earth. He, he, he couldn't even explain it any more than that. The anointing was so strong. Next verse. That I will take nothing. Listen to this. Not even a thread to a sandal strap. I'm not even taking a shoelace from you, you stinking bum. And that I will not take anything that is yours. Lest then you should say, I made Abram rich. He got it. He got it. He crossed the threshold with the people of his own house. He went back and took what was his. He received the blessing of the Most High Priest and he tithed. And, uh-oh, he tithed. Somebody help me. He tithed. He tithed. Come on. That was his worship. Tithing isn't stopping worship. Tithing is priming worship. That was his worship. He tithed. Next verse. Next verse. Except only what the young men have taken and eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. And then he names them. Let them take their portion. After that, all heaven opens up to Abram. We'll get into that. After he received the word and the revelation of the possessor of the Most High God, after he realized how important it is to protect God's glory, he was protecting God's glory. He wasn't trying to be nice and not offend the slimy king of Sodom. He said, I won't even take a shoelace with you. I'm protecting God's glory. I fear God. And he sowed that blessing into his life. The reader of Hebrews got an amplification of that. It says the lesser sows into the better. The lesser sows into the better. Say it with me. The lesser sows into the better. Why do you think that this person here who never looks at our records of who gives, only when there's a special offering, I tell them I want to know so I can bless them. But a special offering doesn't negate tithe. <laughs> a special offering is in spite of tithe. A special offering is what we bring to the Lord because we can, and because we're believing him for our fruits and thanking him for that promise of God. Melchizedek wasn't all that Abram was supposed to do the rest of his life. He offered sacrifices, he gave, he served God. Melchizedek went back to Salem and Abram kept on his path to cross thresholds. So this is an appropriate time. I'm going to shut it down right here because your pizza's getting cold.
Some of us, I'm not preaching at you, some of us sometimes we forget the opportunity for a special offering and the opportunities for tithe. Sometimes we do. We do. I've missed some. I've found some. I try not to miss them. There's a time for a special offering and there's a time for tithe and they're not one and the same. And once we make a special offering, we're not relieved of our tithe. Hmm. I've had times in my life where I've got a windfall and my wife and I have tithed it, sometimes twice as much. But that wasn't saying, oh, I just fulfilled my tithe for the year. Because that's when the windows in heaven stop. That's when I break covenant with the Abrahamic covenant. That's when I'm saying, Lord, I'm doing it on my own. I don't need you anymore. Or I don't respect you anymore. Worse than that, I don't fear you enough. These are serious moments of crossing thresholds in our lives. If you need to cross a threshold from poverty into sustainability, don't rob God. What you're robbing God of is going to rob yourself. You want to believe God for abundance and plenty? Then meet God at his call. He says, test me in this and see if I will not open the windows in heaven to bless you. Because he realizes it's hard for us, right? He realizes it's hard for us to reach in our pocket and to give in faith. Sometimes harder than not, especially when we're going through tough times. <laughs> Been there and done that. Once I learned this lesson, never stopped. I might have stumbled a few times, but I never stopped. And God's been faithful. So I can say it to you from experience and from the Word of God and as a preacher. It's true. Most High, King, Priest. As kings and priests, we're supposed to live in that Melchizedek revelation. We're supposed to live in it. We're supposed to believe God for it. We're supposed to practice it. We're supposed to meet him for the blessing with the blood and the bread. The blessing. Father, thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for starting to enlighten us and show us paths and journeys in the kingdom of God. Lord, allow this to continue to embellish. Allow us, Father, to not be those who walk in ignorance and, and to renew our faith. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you came to redeem our souls, our spirits, and to give us abundance and a life of abundance, but also one of, of, of humility, of repentance, and one that fears you, Lord. Father, we're grateful for all you've done for us and all you're going to do. And we live in the present now with you, Lord, not looking back and not anxious about the future, but walking in the present, timeless mindset that you walk in, Lord, for time has no hold on you, so it should not on us. Be blessed, O oh Lord. Let this word sink into our spirits. Let us understand that we come from a covenant of crossing over so that it becomes so natural for us in the spiritual realm, if it could be, to cross over again, and then again if we need to, and then again if we're allowed to. Bless us in this, Lord. Be with us. Be blessed, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.